Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushable. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of June 27, 2021. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind held its first in-person roundabout this past Friday, June 25, at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Twenty-six people were in attendance, including some new faces. Sue Ellen Milo was there with her new guide dog, Twig, and she later wrote on Facebook, First in-person roundabout was a ringing success tonight. It was good to be around old friends and make some new ones. Twig behaved so wonderfully. She picked up the route into the main activity room super quick. Had a really good Lyft driver going over and an even better TARC-3 driver coming home. And Alan Shrebchenko added, It was great, and the dinner was really good, too. At next week's roundabout on Friday, July 2, doors will open at 5 p.m. Eastern. Dinner will begin at 6, and Patty Cox will be serving up one of her great Italian dishes along with salad and dessert. Cost is $6 per person for dinner. Before dinner, there will be time for individual help with Braille, low vision questions, iPhone and iPad apps and tips, Alexa skills, etc. Let us know ahead of time if you want to work on something specific so we can be prepared to help. There will be music in the 4th of July time after dinner. Bring your guitar, keyboard, or other musical instruments and play along, or just sing along. Participate in our 4th of July trivia and share your past 4th of July memories. Here are some reminders. Remember that the doors open at 5, so try not to arrive before that time. Please call and let us know if you are coming to Roundabout. This is extremely important because we will be social distancing and we need to set the room for the correct number of people. It also will let us know how many people are planning to eat dinner. If your TARC 3 is running late... We will hold dinner for you if we know you are coming. Please wear a mask if you have not been vaccinated. And finally, make your return ride for between 9 and 9.15. The return rides went great last week. Everyone had been picked up by 9.30. Let us know if you have problems with your return times. Many people have participated in Roundabout via Zoom during the pandemic and some cannot attend in person either because of work schedules or medical issues. Some of you don't live in the Louisville area or even in Kentucky or southern Indiana. We are working very hard to create a hybrid roundabout with the after-dinner portion of the program also available on the phone so you can continue to be part of our Friday evenings. Thanks to the generosity of the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, we are acquiring equipment to create this hybrid program, both in person and on Zoom. However, we will not have everything in place for this coming Friday's Roundabout. We very much appreciate your patience as we work through this process. And one final note, the Roundabout for July 12 will be bingo, and we hope that we will be able to have a hybrid activity that evening. The American Council of Blind Lions will hold its regularly scheduled Zoom meeting on Thursday, July 1 at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 Central, and 5.30 Pacific Time. 
This is your chance to get to know blind and visually impaired lions from across the country. ACB Lions will also be holding its annual membership meeting via Zoom on Tuesday, July 13 at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. This meeting is for the purpose of electing the ACBL Board of Directors for the coming year. Join these calls from your computer, cell phone, or landline by calling 669-900-8633 and entering the code 842-3825-0700. If you need a passcode, it is 172-616. ACB Families will not hold its regularly scheduled July meetings. Instead of the July 4 and July 18 meetings, Families will hold its annual membership meeting and elections on Sunday, July 11 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Pacific. All members are urged to attend and guests are welcome. To join the meeting, dial 669-900-6833 and enter the code 862-9889-6972. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will not hold its regularly scheduled Low Vision Support Group call on July 7. Instead, members are urged to attend the CCLVI Candidates Forum. The Zoom link and dial-in link will be posted in a few days. The Council of Citizens with Low Vision annual business meeting and elections will be held at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 Central, and 11.30 Pacific on Tuesday, July 20, as part of the ACB National Conference and Convention. Watch for the Zoom link and dial-in information coming soon. Please note that the time for Tech Talk with Aaron Linson has changed. As of Sunday, June 27, you are invited to bring your questions about screen readers and other techie items and join Aaron from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time each Sunday evening. This call is now part of the community call list and the Zoom and dial-in information will be announced there. To receive an email with news of community calls each day of the week, Send a blank email message to acb-community-events plus subscribe at acblists.org. You can still support the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout by placing an order from our Pampered Chef Party. Shop online at https colon slash slash www.pamperedchef.org. P-A-M-P-E-R-E-D-C-H-E-F dot com slash party slash G-L-C-B fundraiser F-U-N-D-R-A-I-S-E-R or call Cindy Golding, our Pampered Chef representative at 951-235-5486 and she will help you shop for kitchen gadgets, countertop appliances, spices and rubs and mixes and cookware for the microwave, oven or stovetop. Thanks in advance for supporting GLCB. On page two this week, you'll hear a montage of information from the June 25 roundabout. It was prepared for us by Adam Rushville, and it includes books shared during page turners, 
news and demonstrations of Alexa skills, and more. Then on page three, we continue the book theme with excerpts from a book about the origins of many common phrases, sayings, and words that are basic parts of our language today. You won't believe where all of these sayings and words originated. Remember to call or email us with your comments, feedback, and suggestions. We always like to hear from our listeners. Call the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Page 2. All right, everyone. Um, so we're going to get this started, and I just want to welcome everyone, and I'm very glad that we are all able to um finally meet in person. For those of you who for those of you who may not know me, I don't know if we have any new people here. So my name is Natalie Couch and I am the um, president of the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind and um, welcome to all of our new people and I hope that everyone um, has a great time and enjoys themselves and being able to socialize again. Coming up Next week, um, let's see. Next week's the end of the month. Deb Lewis, yes. you want to talk about guide dog? The guide dog meeting. Here we go. Monday at seven in the evening, we will have Tony Ames talking to us about in what is IAADP, which is International Association of Assistant Dogs Partners. Now. Anybody who can say that ought to get a prize. <laughs> but anyhow, test, test, test. Uh, she'll be on about at 7 o'clock on our, our regular meeting line, yeah, the Zoom line. And could people, if you want to participate and hear what she has to say about that organization, please try to come in between 6.45 and 7 so that she has the full hour. She might not need it, but we that'll allow us to ask questions. So that's what we're doing. And then in, in July, I'll give you a sneak preview. Our favorite friend, Sarah Bevan, is hoping to be with us to talk about what your dog wants you to know. <laughs> so she's going to talk about doing a, a nose-to-tail examination of your dog and what the smells mean and if there's smells you ought to hurry to the vet for and smells you can just say, oh, my dog needs a bath, you know. <laughs> okay, so that'll be, and that'll be our meeting in July. So even though we, COVID has been a, you know, a, a real annoyance, my dog users have been doing a lot. And I hope you, you have noticed and participated. You don't have to be a dog handler to participate. We we love everybody, <laughs> and you're all welcome to join us. Carl, Carla. Yes. Who do we give the funds to? Oh, okay. Uh, when we get dinner is is six dollars a person. You may use cash or credit card, um, and but do not we we collect after dinner is given out. Oh no. Yeah, because I, I just like to do it all at once. 
Otherwise, I may forget that you paid. I may not mark it down correctly. So that's going to be after dinner. So don't don't worry about that. Carla or now you want me to do that app thing now or? Sure, go ahead. I use the Echo a good bit, and I've been reading some biographies of musicians and learning what songs they write as well as what they perform, and I really like it. And the Echo will tell you that. You say, if a song is playing, you can ask what it is, and it'll tell you, or you can just ask, uh, like if a song on the Echo is playing, you say, what is this song, and it, it'll tell you, and who does it most of the time. You can also ask, you know, who wrote this song, and it'll do. But uh, then I have discovered uh, that you can ask um, on there, who was so-and-so? You know, like if you want to know who, if Paul Simon, and the uh, echo will tell you. And, th but... I, some of you, I'm usually behind on technology, as y'all can tell from the reaction when I announced that I was going to do a nap. So if you know about this, you're, you know, it's, it's not surprising that you're ahead of me. But what I found out is you can say, who is so-and-so, and it'll tell you, and then you can say uh, her name and, uh, you know, tell me more, and it'll tell you more. Most of the time it's from Wikipedia, and it, it'll tell you a little bit more, and it'll say, do you want me to continue? And it'll say yes, uh, and then it'll tell you more. Do you want me, uh, she will say, do you want me to tell you more? And you say yes, and go on. So uh, what, what I'm going to do, I'm a, per, a matter of personal uh, preference here, is I'm, I'm going to uh, play, um, find out about a person uh, an athlete, a uh, pro tennis player from Louisville. And so I'm going to try this. We have the the um, Echo Studio, which is supposed to put out enough sound to fill the room, so I don't know that I'll need the microphone for it. Alexa, who is Laura DuPont? Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Laura DuPont was a female American tennis player. Alexa, tell me more. She's Here's more on Laura DuPont from Wikipedia. She was the first woman to win a national title in any sport for the University of North Carolina, as well as being the first female All-American at the school. She was not related to the multiple Grand Slam winner Margaret Osborne DuPont. Would you like me to continue? Yes. Turn it up, Adam. Born in Louisville, Kentucky, Laura became acquainted with tennis by practicing on the city's public courts. In her adolescent years, DuPont moved to North Carolina, where she showed promise competing in junior tennis championships. Would you like me to continue? Yes. DuPont attended the University of North Carolina, where three times she was named Mid-Atlantic Singles Collegiate Champion. DuPont was singles champion in the years 1968, 1970, and 1971. In 1970, she also secured doubles champion. Aside from her tennis accolades at the school, she also played varsity basketball. In 1970, DuPont was named North Carolina AAU Athlete of the Year. In 1972, DuPont graduated with a BA and joined the tennis international circuit soon after. 
She won the Canadian, Argentine, New Zealand, and German singles. Would you like me to continue? Yes. Dupont's success continued, becoming the South African doubles champion in 1976, a doubles finalist in 1975, and singles finalist in 1976. She won the U.S. Clay Court Championship singles title in 1977, as well as was a doubles finalist in 1976. In 1984, Dupont won the U.S. Open 35 and over singles championship. Would you like me to keep reading? Yes. From 1975 to 1981, she was on the Women's Tennis Association board, serving in the roles of vice president and treasurer. Would you like me to continue? No. <laughs> All right. Uh, the thing is, that it, it could go on, and the fact of the matter is, she uh, is in the University of North Carolina Hall of Fame. Uh, after she retired, she ran a, a sports a club, tennis club, with uh, another pro, Pam Shriver. I don't know if y'all recognize that name. But the reason why I picked her is that that is my cousin from here in Louisville when she grew up. So. But you could do the same thing um, with a musician, and it'll tell you uh, about them, and uh, it, it'll go through sections like it'll say early life. Do you want me to read more? And then uh, you know, um, it, it'll give a discography for if it's a musician. Of course, you can do an athlete again um, or an author, and it'll tell you you know the books they wrote. So I like it. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that or not, but it, it's really interesting. Sometimes there's a lot of information on some of these people, and, and it's fun to go through. So that's it. Thank you. That's really cool, Adam. Yeah. Um, you were talking about music, Adam. Uh, there's another app that I don't. Maybe you all already know about, but it's called Lyric Finder. And, Lyric, L-Y-R-I-C, Lyric Finder. Uh-huh. And you tell her to enable Lyric Finder. And then when you want to use her, you'll say, open Lyric Finder. And then you say, you ask her, what are the lyrics to, well, they give you an example. What are the lyrics to Hello by Adele? Okay. But you can get almost almost any song uh, like you could ask her what you say her name and say what are the lyrics to sound of silence by simon and garfunkel and i think where you say the song i'm not sure if you have to say the song or you know but anyway you, you can ask because sometimes lyrics are really hard to understand and uh and so you can ask her what those lyrics are from that app and and she'll tell you one time I asked her, I opened up Lyric Finder and asked her to give me the words to Bird is a Word. Remember that song? Adam, I got a question for you. You like music, right? Yes, indeed. Do you know what you get when you play a country music song backwards? No, what, what do you get? Yeah, you get your wife back, your truck back, and your dog back. <laughs> Debbie Persons, I just need somebody to go around and collect for me. Because somebody will come around to collect. 
So remember, if you want to pay in cash, it's $6 a person. If you want me to put it on your credit card, you know, when they come around, just tell them if you're going to be cash or credit card. And then they're, and be a little patient because they're going to need to remember to tell me so I get it all marked up right. Okay? If you need, if I don't have your card on file or it's been a long time and you've gotten a new card, please, you know, please just tell me that we need to come get your new card and we will. We're going to need to start right. page turners and we also have some bakery stuff to give out and um, I don't think there's any loaf bread but there's sure sweet stuff I think so um, Patty will be telling us about that too but let's go ahead and start our page turners as you know page turners is a chance for us to share good books and Natalie where's Natalie speak up Natalie Natalie is the president of Tri-State Library Users so Natalie, I'm gonna turn the time over to you to run page turners. Since I have the microphone, um, I guess I will talk about a couple books. Um, at the recommendation of Adam, I did read uh, Coal Miner's Daughter, which is the biography of um, Loretta Lynn. And um, right now I'm in the middle of reading a book called The Hail Mary Project. And um, it is by Andy oh Weir. Weir. And um, it's about a guy who wakes up on a spaceship and he has to try to figure out how he got there. Um, so I am not very far into the book um, because I keep falling asleep through it. I mean, it's not boring, but I keep falling asleep through it. <laughs> so, um, but. Hopefully by the end of July, I will have more to say on this book. So does anyone at this table, since we have a microphone over here, okay. This is Deb Lewis, and I'm looking, okay. First one is the one I suggested on Saturday, and then we decided to wait a little while on it, but I'll give that to here. Um, Confessions <laughs> of a Prairie Bitch. How I survived Nellie Olson and learned to love being hated by Allison uh, Arngrim and that was the person that played Nellie. The DB number is DB102927. And the book is her autobiography and she is quite funny. There are some sad parts, some very um, touching, very, very sad parts, especially um, one of the early chapters, chapter three, is one that if, if there's sexual abuse in your past, you might want to skip it, or you might not, but just be aware that it's there, because it doesn't, doesn't go through the whole book, but it, she does mention it occasionally but not as much as she does in chapter three. Well, I didn't get to go to the book club Saturday because I had to work. So, and some of you weren't there either. So, I'm gonna talk a little bit about Anne of Green Gables because I read it. And I didn't read it when I was 11 because I didn't, I, I thought it was crazy to read when I was 11. When I got it from the library in the summer, and I thought, oh, this will be good. And I read the first 25 pages and said, oh, this isn't too good. I think it's a great book to listen to, though, 
And um, so now I'm reading the whole series. So I'm in. I'm on book number three. I'd like to skip it and read book number nine, but I'm kind of to be good and not do that. So that I've been reading those, and I started another book, but I can't think of that. I'll have to re remember the other books for the next time. Uh-huh. There are nine. There are nine. And eight of them are... Fr no, about five. No, there's nine. I, I know there's nine. And then there's another one, actually. There's two. There's Before Green Gables, but it's written by somebody else. But it's the story of Anne before she went to Green Gables. But all of those... Let's see, the first six are free on Audible. The rest are not free on Audible. But... Um, I got Audible because I had some Bible study books that weren't anywhere else, so I already had an Audible account from a lot, 10 years ago. So anyway, it's just, I think it's been a neat experience, and I'm enjoying it. The books I've been reading, um, <laughs> I read a lot of romance books. I read a lot of Christian romance books. And I'm, I'm on a Karen Kingsbury kick right now. <laughs> and um, there's, a, there's a lot of, um, there's series um, there's a series about the Baxter family and what do you say Deanna? 23. 23 books right okay and then there's a spirit there's a series about the Flanagan family and those fan the, the two families are you know they get to know each other and they're really good friends and stuff and um, there's one book that I just finished reading it um, it's not a part of a, a series or anything, but it's called um, Oceans Apart. And that's by Karen Kingsbury, and it's really good. I mean, I mean, it's, it's sad, but it, it has a good ending, but it's, it deals with human trafficking. And um, I just finished reading that book, and oh my. You know, it's, it's uh, fiction, but I think it's you know it's based on some true events or whatever I think, but it just if you haven't been aware of human trafficking or whatever, then it it makes makes you aware of it and that kind of thing. But it it she does a very good job of of depict, depicting all that and everything. All right, I had a um, two or three books that I. Wanted to recommend, I had notes on them on my Braille note, and I didn't bring my Braille note with me, so that didn't help. I wanted to mention, too, that one of them is a, a factual book, historic book, called The Story of English. And what it does, it, it takes the English language, and they start way back at the time of the uh, Saxons and Angles, in Britain, the Angles uh, and Saxons both came from Europe, the German area, before um, uh, the birth of Christ. You might say three to five hundred years before then. And uh, they uh, came into Britain, and then from that you also had uh, the Welsh and the Irish and Scottish. And that you know, all those mingled there for a while, and then uh, 
in 1066 when William the Conqueror uh, came into Britain, uh, the French language took over and uh, the English language that was still around back then was mainly talked by the common people, but it, it wasn't uh, completely taken away. Then uh, you go all the way up in the Hundred Years' War in the 1300s, uh, they got rid of the French out of England, and so the English language, Anglo-Saxon, uh, came, came back. But in the meantime, the Welsh and Irish and Scottish were uh, suppressed in their languages. Uh, for instance, the Welsh language, they, there's actually a tombstone in uh, Wales that has, in 1777, it says, you know, uh, this person was the last known person to speak Welsh language naturally. And all the rest of them, they might have been taught a little of the language in school and so on, but it was it was not natural to them. The same in Ireland, uh, the British uh, again moved in, and after the rebellion of Bonnie Prince Charlie, um, the British moved in and did not allow any uh, body to speak Gaelic. And finally, that language is now a dead language. You only learn about it, you know, in books and so on. Uh, so it, it's very interesting, but the main thing is uh, between 1590 and say six, 1615, two things happened which really helped the development of the English language as we know it today. The first was William Shakespeare, and in this book it, it talks about Shakespeare and um, he coined over 2,000 words. In other words, he originated uh, 2,000 words that had not been uh, used or put into print before he wrote his plays. And also, there are all kinds of phrases and uh, expressions that come out of Shakespeare's plays. And the second thing is the writing of the King James Bible. And of course, the King James Bible was, uh, and still is, the most, you know, widely read and used book. Uh, and uh, again, that was amazing. Would anybody like to guess how many words there are in the Bible that are um, unduplicated? In other words, you know, there might be, there might be, you know, seventy thousand words or whatever the word count is, but. I'm just saying, like, if um, blessed, you know, it, it is one word, and it doesn't matter whether it's 50 times, you know, you still count it just as one word. Would somebody like to guess on the number of unduplicated? Okay, it was around 8,000. And, and normally in a language, you can have, you know, tens of thousands of words. Uh, and for instance, then in the 1700s, a, a fellow named Samuel Johnson produced really what was the first full dictionary of English language. And in there, he had 30,000 words with their definitions. 
And that, that was the first time, it was about 1756 or something that he did that. But uh, Shakespeare and the Bible uh, became and helped the spread of the English language because the common people could read those. Uh, it made it possible for more of the common people uh, as well as the educated people to um, become literate. And today, of course, the English language is one of the widest spread languages in the world. Okay, Mom, you can go ahead and start. On the baked goods, uh, Debbie and Samantha will see who holds up their hand first, and the first one gets it. All right, so we have a round red velvet cake. Carrot cream cheese gourmet cupcakes, and it looks like it has coconut. We have a raspberry white chocolate Neapolitan pieces of cake. We have a small apple berry rustic tart. We have four huge Raisin Bran muffins. Okay, so we have two packs of Ladyfingers and one pack of the uh, sponge shortcake. I mean, we're just going to feed y'all for a week on bread. Okay. All right. I hope everybody's taking home lots of bread and lots of cake, lots of cupcakes. And so next week when you come, you'll weigh five pounds more. <laughs> yes. Okay. So was dinner good tonight? Yes. All right. Oh, Patty tells me next week will be Italian food. So I, I think that may mean Patty's garlic bread, right, Patty? We hope you've had a good time. One thing we did not mention... And I think that we should, before we go, you know, when we were here before the virus, we had some people here that won't be back. And one was Elaine, because she moved to Illinois, and um, I think she's wishing she was here, but, you know, we miss her, and um, so maybe someday she'll be able to come back and visit. But the other one is Butch. Butch passed away in, what was it, uh, January or February, around in there. And um, he called me. He'd been in the hospital. And we didn't know what had happened because we hadn't heard from him in a long, long time. And he called me one day and he said he was kind of in a rehab. Uh, I don't know which one. I've forgotten. But um, that he was hoping to get to go home. And I said, well, so you're getting better. And he said, you know, I just don't think I'm going to get better. So, but he'd been on that home dialysis for a long time. So it was really, really sad. And of course, the good news that happened during the virus is that Chas had her, got her transplant and her kidney pancreas transplant. And she's doing real good, right, Patty? Most of the time when you have a transplant, um, just with one organ, but with two, 
uh, your medication levels are normally between 18 and 22 for the first full year. Um, the highest that Chas has been is 12, and she is down to seven. When she gets down to zero, they start weaning you off of rejection. So, um, she might break a record, y'all. And she wanted to come tonight, but uh, Brentley was a little tear, so. But he wants to come back and hand out the drinks. And also, um, I did talk to Sister Agnes today, and she is going to be coming back to help starting the 1st of August, the first Friday in August. So she was really, you know, she, she hated that she couldn't come tonight. The Brentley Agnes Show will be back in August. <laughs> okay. Oh, yes, and Samantha has some good news. As some of y'all don't know yet, but I got engaged back on May 2nd of this year to a nice gentleman that went to school, KSB, with me. Uh, his name is Aaron Winston. He'll be here next week. He just couldn't do it tonight. Um, the wedding date we're planning on doing is April 9th of next year. I'm glad she told us early so we won't plan a crossroads for that day. <laughs> okay, anybody else have some good news or some news to update? You know how we love news around here, right? We think we know everything. It's 9 o'clock, so you do not need to go outside to wait on your TARC 3s. And so we hope to see everybody back next week and... Tell somebody else about Roundabout and bring them to. Page 3. The Story of English by Robert McCrum, William Cran, and Robert McNeil. Copyright Robert McCrum, William Cran, Robert McNeil, 1986. Narrated by Maurice Schroeder. Chapter 3. A Muse of Fire. About 150 years after the death of Elizabeth I, Samuel Johnson looked back with some pride on the achievements of her reign. From the authors which rose in the time of Elizabeth, a speech might be formed adequate to all purposes of use and elegance. If the language of theology were extracted from Hooker and the translation of the Bible, the terms of natural knowledge from Bacon, the phrases of policy, war, and navigation from Raleigh, the dialect of poetry and fiction from Spencer and Sidney, and the diction of common life from Shakespeare, few ideas would be lost to mankind for want of English words in which they might be expressed. The achievements of these astonishing years an age of national crisis, seafaring adventure, and artistic splendor are inescapably glorious. Elizabeth I came to the throne in 1558 at the age of 25. William Shakespeare, her most famous subject, was born six years later in 1564. 
Her successor, James I, who gave his name to another English masterpiece, the authorized version of the Bible, died in 1625. During their reigns, about seventy years, the English language achieved a richness and vitality of expression that even contemporaries marveled at. But there is an irony to the commonplace that this was the golden age of the English language. For contemporaries, their native tongue was barely ready, after centuries of Latin and French, for serious literary and scholarly purposes. England was a small nation, just beginning to flex its international muscles. Its spokesmen, anxious to stake out a European reputation for its writers, as well as its admirals and statesmen, tended to stray into pardonable hyperbole. The reasons for this great surge in the English language and its literature lie in the unprecedented rate of change experienced by European society during these years. This short period, the lifespan of one man, saw the confluence of three immensely influential historical developments, the Renaissance, the Reformation, and the emergence of England as a maritime power. The New World of English Words The Renaissance had different effects in every European country. In England there had occurred, in the years since Caxton set up his printing press at Westminster, a communications revolution, probably not matched until the present age of word processors and videos. The printing press transformed society. Before 1500, the total number of books printed throughout Europe was about 35,000, most of them in Latin. Between 1500 and 1640, in England alone, some 20,000 items in English were printed, ranging from pamphlets and broadsheets to folios and Bibles. The result was to accelerate the education of the rising middle class. Some estimates suggest that by 1600, nearly half the population had some kind of minimal literacy, at least in the cities and towns. The economics of the book trade also encouraged the spread of the vernacular. Outside the universities, people preferred to read books in English rather than in Latin or Greek, and printers naturally tried to satisfy their customers' demand. From the poetry of Spencer, who invented braggadocio in the Fairy Queen, to the slang of the sailors who defeated the Armada, there was, throughout English society, a new urge to use English to communicate. The importance of the Renaissance to the English language was that it added between 10,000 and 12,000 new words to the lexicon. In 1658, looking back on the myriad coinings of the previous century, Milton's nephew, Edward Phillips, summarized the experience in the title of his glossary, The New World of English Words. The Bard of Avon the English writer, whose imagination and vocabulary matched the discoveries of the New World, was the poet and dramatist William Shakespeare. It is impossible to quantify the relationship between a writer of genius and the development of a language. It is both simple and obvious, and yet difficult to define. But suppose that Shakespeare had lived before the age of printing, or suppose his fellow actors had not been able to preserve his plays in book form. It is lucky for us that Shakespeare lived during the first flourishing of the popular presses. Centuries later, 
we can still appreciate the extent of his powers, his compassion, his knowledge of the human heart, and above all, his genius for words. This privilege was denied to the earlier masters of the oral tradition. Seven years after his death, the first volume of his works, the first folio, was published and established the legend. His mind and hand went together. We have scarce received from him a blot in his paper. Shakespeare put the vernacular to work and showed those who came after what could be done with it. He filled a universe with words. Accommodation, assassination, dexterously, dislocate, indistinguishable, obscene, pedant, premeditated, reliance, and submerged are just a handful of the words that make their first appearance in the folio. Shakespeare's impact on the patterns and stuff of everyday English speech has been memorably expressed by the English journalist Bernard Levin. If you cannot understand my argument and declare it's Greek to me, you are quoting Shakespeare. If you claim to be more sinned against than sinning, you are quoting Shakespeare. If you recall your salad days, you are quoting Shakespeare. If you act more in sorrow than in anger, if your wish is father to the thought, if your lost property has vanished into thin air, you are quoting Shakespeare. If you have ever refused to budge an inch or suffered from green-eyed jealousy, if you have played fast and loose, if you have been tongue-tied, a tower of strength, hoodwinked, or in a pickle, if you have knitted your brows, made a virtue of necessity, insisted on fair play, slept not one wink, stood on ceremony, danced attendance on your lord and master, laughed yourself into stitches, had short shrift, cold comfort, or too much of a good thing, if you have seen better days or lived in a fool's paradise, why, be that as it may, the more fool you, for it is a foregone conclusion that you are, as good luck would have it, quoting Shakespeare. If you think it is early days and clear out bag and baggage, if you think it is high time and that that is the long and short of it, if you believe that the game is up and that truth will out even if it involves your own flesh and blood, if you lie low till the crack of doom because you suspect foul play, if you have your teeth set on edge at one fell swoop without rhyme or reason, then to give the devil his due, if the truth were known, for surely you have a tongue in your head, you are quoting Shakespeare. Even if you bid me good riddance and send me packing, if you wish I was dead as a doornail, if you think I am an eyesore, a laughing-stock, the devil incarnate, a stony-hearted villain, bloody-minded, or a blinking idiot, then, by Jove, O oh Lord, tut-tut, for goodness' sake, what the dickens, but me no buts, it is all one to me, for you were quoting Shakespeare." The facts of Shakespeare's life are scarce, so meager indeed that the 18th century scholar George Stevens wrote, All that is known with any degree of certainty concerning Shakespeare is that he was born in Stratford-upon-Avon, married and had children there, went to London where he commenced actor and wrote poems and plays, returned to Stratford, made his will, died, and was buried. More is known now, but not much more. In the end, in spite of a mountain of scholarship, Shakespeare the man escapes us. 
Of many epitaphs in many succeeding decades, none competes with the words of his own friend, Ben Jonson. I loved the man, and to honor his memory on this side idolatry as much as any. He was indeed honest, and of an open and free nature, had an excellent fancy, brave notions, and gentle expressions, wherein he flowed with that facility that sometime it was necessary he should be stopped. His wit was in his own power, would the rule of it had been so too. There was ever more in him to be praised than to be pardoned. This has not stopped biographers, critics, and historians creating a mountain of speculation. Why? The answer is that perhaps more than to any writer who has ever lived, the English-speaking world looks back to Shakespeare as its greatest writer, with the universality of the great. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, What point of morals, of manners, of economy, of philosophy, of religion, of taste, of our conduct of life has he not settled? What mystery has he not signified his knowledge of? What office or function or district of man's work has he not remembered? What maiden has not found him finer than her delicacy? What sage has he not outseen? Shakespeare is universal in his appeal and sympathy, not least because he wrote in a language that has become global. It is impossible, finally, to estimate his importance for the English language, except to say that he is, as Dante is for the Italians or Goethe is for the Germans, an icon for speakers of his language throughout the world. He was a country boy, born in Stratford, in the heart of Warwickshire, then a town of some 1,500 inhabitants. His poetry is full of his delight in the English countryside, and many of his plays are set in or near a wood, like the neighboring forest of Arden. When Oberon, in A Midsummer Night's Dream, plots his revenge on Titania, he tells Puck where he will find her in words that only a country boy could have written. I know a bank whereon the wild thyme blows, where oxlips and the nodding violet grows, quite over-canopied with luscious woodbine, with sweet musk-roses, and with eglantine. And when Puck shortly afterwards reports on the transformation of bottom, we sense that Shakespeare knows what he is talking about. As wild geese that the creeping fowler eye, or russet-pated chuffs, many in sort, rising and cawing at the gun's report, sever themselves and madly sweep the sky. Even Shakespeare's vocabulary betrays his Warwickshire roots. In his work, we find words like ballow, a North Midlands word for cudgel, batlet, a local term used until recently for the bat to beat clothes in the wash, gallow, meaning to frighten, geck, a word for a fool, which was also used by George Eliot in Adam Bede, honey stalks, a regional word for the stalks of clover flowers, mobled, for muffled, pash, meaning to smash, potch, to thrust, tar, to provoke or incite, and veils, a Midlands term for perks or tips. And when in Macbeth, Banquo is described as blood-boltered, having his hair matted with blood, it is easy to imagine that Shakespeare was remembering that in Warwickshire, snow is said to bolter on horses' feet, 
All these usages in passing suggest that Sir Francis Bacon, an East Anglian, could not possibly have written the works of Shakespeare. Shakespeare himself would have spoken a kind of Midlands English. If you want to hear something close to the sound of Shakespeare's English, you have only to return to Shakespeare country, Warwickshire, the Cotswolds, and neighboring Gloucestershire. Here the local people still use forms of English that have strong echoes of 16th century speech. What Hamlet says, to be or not to be, that is the question, he has summarized in one line everything that follows. This is Shakespeare's mastery of what Samuel Johnson called the diction of common life. Little is known about Shakespeare's education, though it is clear he was trained in classical and Renaissance rhetoric, but he was alive to every nuance of language. He knew both about inkhorn terms and about plainness. He could write out of the Anglo-Saxon tradition, or the Anglo-Norman, or the classical. After he has committed the murder of Duncan, Macbeth laments what he has done. Will all great Neptune's ocean wash this blood clean from my hand? No, this my hand will rather the multitudinous seas incarnadine, making the green one red. His bloody hands, he is saying, will pollute the sea. But to express how the sea will be suffused with Duncan's blood, he repeats himself, first in a rolling Latinate phrase, the multitudinous seas incarnadine, and secondly in plain Anglo-Saxon, for the groundlings in the pit, making the green one red. A word like multitudinous is a reminder that Shakespeare had one of the largest vocabularies of any English writer, some 30,000 words. Estimates of an educated person's vocabulary today vary, but it is probably about half this, 15,000. He was, to use his own phrase, a man of fire new words. Shakespeare loved to experiment with new words. Allurement, armada, antipathy, critical, demonstrate, dire, emphasis, emulate, horrid, initiate, meditate, modest, prodigious, vast. All these are new to English in the 16th century, and they all appear in Shakespeare. It is arguable that without such encouragement, the imprimator of genius, many of these words would not have survived. Shakespeare had an extraordinary ability to spin off memorable combinations of words. Scores of phrases have entered the language and have become, in some cases, clichés. Just one play, Hamlet, is a treasure house of quotable quotes. Frailty, thy name is woman. More in sorrow than anger. The primrose path of dalliance. Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. The time is out of joint. Brevity is the soul of wit. More matter with less art. Though this be madness, yet there is method in it. The play's the thing. To be or not to be, that is the question. A king of shreds and patches. I must be cruel only to be kind. Alas, poor Yorick, a hit, a very palpable hit. The rest is silence. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, 
Call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.